Okay, so welcome back to Conversing Labs. This is our RSA Conversing Labs Cafe, and uh, we're here with Bryson Bort of Side. Bryson, welcome. Hey, good to see you again. It's great to see you again. How are you doing? Every day is a holiday. And you're out at the RSA conference. Um, talk a little bit. You, you both, uh, you were on a panel, which we're going to talk about cl- uh, shortly, but you're also doing some work there just as uh, with the conference itself. So, so talk about that. Yeah. So while every day is a holiday, uh, four days at RSA has already felt like four weeks. Um, I'm out here in multiple capacities. So I believe this is our ninth or 10th year returning as the ICS Village nonprofit, uh, which I co-founded with Tom Van Norman. Uh, We build critical infrastructure and we take it around to different conferences to educate folks into the space, as well as I think the fun part that's becoming really relevant is help IT security practitioners get some hands-on to start to um, expand their knowledge into some of the nuances and getting past the the scariness of OT security. Um, I'm also, of course, here with my full-time job as the founder and CEO of Scythe. Um, And as a software vendor, my job is, have you heard of Scythe? Why haven't you heard of Scythe? When do you want to buy? Um, So doing that on the the side. Can we offer uh, you a t-shirt? Can, can, would you like a T-shirt? Um, I, I regret to inform sticker. you. Or a la- oh, well, we're very popular with our with our unicorn scythe uh, laptop stickers. And I know. It's really funny because, one. of course, RS. Well, Paul, we can make that happen. I know. I'll see you at Black. Fact, I'll see you at DefCon. We can we can do it. I will be at Black Hat and at DefCon in All the right. same capacity. The ICS right. Village uh, runs the ICS Village at at DefCon, and that one's my favorite because folks that come there are really technical, and so. They want to get hands-on with all the extensive exhibits that we have there. Yeah. Uh, have there, and here at RSA, it's a more of a like walk by and, and wave at it. Um, but we can absolutely get you a sticker. And not only that, if you want even more, we have swag.site.io to buy mm. your own unicorn themed gear. All and right. All of those proceeds go to saving the chubby unicorns. So we partnered with a rhinoceros, an endangered rhinoceros conservation charity. Um, so we are in fact saving real life chubby unicorns. I love it. I did not know that. All right. I'm going to have to check that out. I'm going to have to check out the chubby unicorns. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, the uh, the differences to your RSA and, and some of the other big shows, Black Hat, Defcon, well, well noted and observed. Um, you're, um, one of the things you're doing out there in your very busy week in San Francisco is uh, moderating a panel that took a look back at the Colonial Pipeline hack. We're about a year out from that. It was May of 2021 or thereabouts that that, that all went down uh, and kind of taking uh, the measure of what happened, what maybe happened that we didn't know about or didn't get a lot of media attention, uh, but that we can appreciate here from a year away. And also, I guess, what the lessons learned are. So um, if you wouldn't mind, tell us a little bit about the panel, who was on it, and um, what did you guys uh, discover? Uh, yeah, so um, I don't know if this is because I'm former government or an army officer that I have self-anointed myself as the person who is going to help any agency that actually, uh, is this rated PG or rated R? This is rated PG. PG, okay. I will use a different verb. Um, any agency <laughs> that has given itself the opportunity to learn. Um, and this is paid out of the marketing budget. I think that that was the filter I ran that through. Of like, yeah, no problem. I just, yeah, I just needed was, to know how spicy to make my point. Yeah, yeah. So any 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 uh, agency that has faced challenges and has seen the opportunity to do better, um, 
And obviously, I, I think that was uh, TSA with the Colonial Pipeline. And the yeah. first point I want to make, so the, the panel was, uh, was I put it together with uh, Tim Weston, who is the cybersecurity coordinator at uh, TSA, uh, Tim Starks, who is the editor-in-chief over at CyberScoop News. And then, of course, we have to have industry representation. And that was Suzanne Lemieux from the American Petroleum Institute, API. And uh, one is, what the hell happened? Uh, we, we, get, we get that that snippets of a press perspective as everybody opines from the sidelines. And Colonial Pipeline was truly a unique watershed moment. And I think this is something that's important for the audience to get is we spend a lot of time pretty much talking to ourselves in our echo chamber of cybersecurity and really forget that about 99.9% of the world has no idea what we do other than they've seen Hugh Jackman or John Travolta in a Hollywood hacker movie once. And that's important because that's where their which, understanding- Which bears very little resemblance to what we actually do. <laughs> I don't know. I pretty much have hacked a bank just by sipping some wine and playing with cubes. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Uh, and it's important that I say that. I have to say I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> um, but no, it, this matters because, and that's why actually I make sure I really include the press in this is because they're part of the problem and the solution themselves with that education and outreach because it's as that, as a more informed citizenry exists, hmm. not only does that make us slightly safer, but it also allows government to fund and to resource correctly to things that matter to it. And mm -hmm. so Colonial Pipeline being the first time that we directly affected people in their own lives mm -hmm. was where ransomware became a, a, word, a word in the layperson jargon and the real depth and of the problem, the real depth of the problem became uh, understood. Yeah. And so the other thing that came out of the, the talk was uh, TSA has been panned and rightly so for Security Directive 02. And what SD02 was, was um, one, uh, it was uh, classified at, as a sensitive level, which means it could not be uh, widely distributed for comment. And part of the reason for that was that it was prescriptive. Now, whenever government passes a regulation that is prescriptive saying, thou shalt do it this way and thou shalt do it this way, well, mm, that doesn't usually go well. But doesn't what came well, out of the panel, yeah. and in fact, I didn't really even know this myself, was Security Directive 02 had actually been in process before the Colonial Pipeline incident. Mm -hmm. So government was trying to do the right thing, and then it just kind of happened too fast, and then they pushed that out. Um, and of course, I have to answer the question, what was Security Directive 01? And that was what passed right after the, the pipeline where government said, hey, we actually need data insights into what's going on because... Right. If we're going to be making uh, more informed, involved choices, then we need to have that data insight toward that. And then the counterbalance of the panel, and this is where the API was in the hot seat as the general industry representation, of course, is clearly voluntary cybersecurity guidelines do not work. Turns out no company is really going to follow those in as much as they understand in their own context from a leadership perspective where cybersecurity really matters to their business because every dollar to cybersecurity, that's not profit or mm -hmm. an investment in the business itself. Right. right. 
I mean, I think, you know, I mean, a couple things that, that really came out of Colonial Pipeline, I think for many of us, first of all, was, you know, what is this thing, Colonial Pipeline? I don't think many of us were aware of, you know, as is often the case with critical infrastructure, you know, the stuff that our civilization relies on is is more or less invisible to us. You know, it's buried under the ground or, you know, we drive by it and, and don't even know what its purpose is. So I think, first of all, that like, oh, all the fuel we use on the East Coast actually comes via this pipeline from the Gulf. Um, and and second of all, I think was um, just this, um, you know, realization that these ransomware attacks we'd all been talking and writing about could really impact um, our day to day lives in a, in a very you know tangible way. There were obviously runs on fuel stations, especially in the South and Southeast. Um, resulting from colonial uh, and um, certainly some very dire warnings about what was going to happen if, if the pipeline didn't get back up and running. Um, did, did, um, did you get the sense that, um, I mean, it, on the one hand, it shouldn't take a ransomware attack on a critical piece of infrastructure to remind everybody why it's important to protect it. <laughs> so did you get a sense in the panel kind of um, why it had taken that to happen for there to be movement on the government side uh, on the, um, you know, directives and, and, and guidance for pipeline owners, operators? Paul, humans, since the history of humankind have been absolutely terrible at appropriate yeah. risk assessment and management. Yeah. We never think it's going to happen. We never think it's going to happen to us. Yeah. And we never think it's going to be as bad as it possibly could be. Yeah. It's like a species and, problem. <laughs> and this is who we are. Uh, so government merely reflects that in that regard. Um, yeah. I, I joke because it's not completely true, but I kind of joke that no one was more surprised they were in charge of that critical risk sector than TSA when it happened. <laughs> and and the joke is that they were not effectively resourced for that problem because at the end of the day, as an executive agency, they can only do what they are appropriated resource-wise to yep. do. Yeah. Um, CISA is three years old. Yeah. An actual domestic agency whose whole goal is cybersecurity is only three years old. Yeah. 2015 was the first time, 2015-16 was the first time the U.S. government changed its strategic approach to even considering the problem of cybersecurity for the private aspect of the country to be their problem. Previous to that, it was, right, we have intelligence community and we have the military side of this and they're doing their thing. But if you're not one of those two things, including federal civil, yeah. Um, that, that's your problem. Yeah. And of course, your, that's the soft you. underbelly of the uh, attack target is the fact that the number one economy in the world where everything is based on information technology represents a very juicy target. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course, there had been efforts over the years to address this in a more holistic way through new laws, you know, data, data privacy, data security laws. Um, those have been uh, shot down by the opposition from the Chamber of Commerce and, and other business interests. Um, do, um, do we think that, and it, so we know that there were these DHS directives that came specifically out of Colonial. Do we get the sense that Colonial is going to lead to anything more meaningful in terms of federal regulation of critical infrastructure security? 
Well, first, going back to uh, Security Directive 02 uh, is mandatory compliance. Yeah. It's no longer voluntary. You will do this. Now, the good for, news For pipeline is, operators. For pipeline operators. Yeah. And so uh, it's going to be updated. They talked about this on the panel. It's going to be declassified. Um, they're going to pull back some of the more uh, incorrect mitigation pieces that they pushed. Um, the relationship with the, the asset owners industry, um, they are focused on that. And there is a dialogue going between. And that was very apparent on stage. Um, certainly, again, API representing the industry, but as a trade association, effectively what they do. And that level of the collaboration that clearly had prepended the panel for them to be able to talk it the way that they were between, I mean, even them on stage. And I look yeah. forward to when the recording will be available from RSA, um, because I think uh, it, having been here now three days, it was the most attended panel uh, or talk that I've seen in the three days. We were standing wow. room only. Uh -huh. and so I know that there is a, a, an even larger demand for everyone that wasn't able to be here in person to see that, to be able to do that. So that video will be coming uh, and it's the dialogue and a lot of the revelations uh, I, I cannot emphasize enough. We're, we're truly interesting from all three sides. So can we talk about the attack a little bit or what we know about the attack via some really good reporting? Um, we know or we suspect or we know it was the dark side ransomware group, um, kind of cyber criminal group, kind of ties to Russia and, and former Soviet uh, republics. We know that, um, or if I recall, the initial access was through a vulnerable VPN uh, concentrator that Colonial uh, just actually wasn't even aware of, um, had just overlooked in some of their own um, assessments. Did we learn anything new um, about the specifics of the attack, how it played out, or, or what happened again after that sort of initial access? Uh, no, uh, frankly, I think we used a summary of, of what happened to set the, the foundation for, uh, the, I think, the more interesting parts were, which were, you know, what does this mean to critical infrastructure at large? What's next? Um, what have we learned and improved from? Um, I think the, the key foundation point to take away is a private company unilaterally made a decision that had national impact. The entire yeah. Southeast was out nice. of oil and gas for five days. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I particularly picked on was the comment that that was unexpected, where we had the run on gas stations from places that weren't even affected. And I think that shows a lack of how important this is and the psychological component that a fear that, that affects a population at large. And that was, again, part of why I made sure that the press was a part of that. Um, and then the key element, the operational technology environments of pipeline operations were not directly affected by the attack right. at right. all. It right. was only the information technology environment. It was the enterprise environment. Now think about that. We had critical infrastructure operations go down and I hypothesized more out a, a sense of fear of what might happen versus technically what did happen. That's right. That's right. Which shows that you know, from the attacker standpoint, you don't necessarily need to compromise the OT system if you uh, compromise and uh, the IT system, um, they might shut down the operational technology just out of caution, right? Or, you know, you've, you've created enough uncertainty about what level of access they do have that they might take extreme steps to kind of protect themselves or protect their customers, um, which is a really interesting point. Your expertise obviously is on the OT side. Um, is, is and, and, and 
Colonial is interesting because it's the most prominent attack on, you know, industrial control systems. But as you pointed out, it actually wasn't an attack on industrial control systems, just the company that operated the the uh, the uh, critical infrastructure. So is there, I guess, is that risk um, still on the uh, OT side still real? What do we know about that particular um, risk? Maybe not ransomware, but just in terms of overall cyber threats. So first, uh, I'm going to point out it is not the largest or the most well-known attack that has had the same effect. Aramco in 2012 with Shamoon Shamoon, was 35,000 enterprise desktops becoming paperweights overnight. And that affected operational technology because literally the business could not function. Um, The the second part is uh, I've I've given two talks in the last three weeks with uh, uh, the uh, security manager from Oklahoma Gas and Electric, Ian Anderson, um, the last time I gave this talk was all of five days ago at SANS ICS in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I know SANS is going to be publishing that video. And what we did is we broke down the uh, attack perspective on, on critical infrastructure. And the first thing I want to point out is every company has a critical infrastructure or is a part of it. The easiest point to, to make is, well, where do you think your electricity and water comes from? Let alone when you start thinking about building systems, HVAC, physical security, and so on. Those are all those are all industrial control systems that you're, affect your environment. Um, but again, going back to Colonial Pipeline, that's actually the most common approach that we see. It's not going to industrial control systems or operational technology directly. It is going to the easiest thing, which is, I would say a hacker can't hack what they can't touch. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. IT, by definition, is internet facing, which is what makes it so easy to get access to that. So IT is the primary ingress, the starting point. They iterate laterally, they iterate through lateral movement to the first crossover, which is what I call the beachhead. And mm-hmm. that is uh, human, ma- human machine interfaces or dis- distributed control systems, uh, higher level industrial control systems that sit in the operational technology environment. Uh, typically, that is a DMZ, but there is that touch point. And here's why it works so well, besides the fact that there's that touch point to be able to get to, is the operating system that they run with is the same kind of operating system you already see in the IT environment. And HMI mm-hmm. would run Windows 7. So not only is it something that I can see, it's typically something that's not supported and it's incredibly vulnerable. And here's the best part, because, of course, the third part of that are the traditional operational technologies, the programmable logic controls that are out there changing valves or adjusting things and affecting the physical world. Actuators and stuff like that. Yep. Exactly. I don't have to speak any of those custom protocols or any of those things because that's already organic to the environment. That's literally what those beachhead systems do. Mm-hmm. So we saw this with the Oldsmar water facility attack in Florida. Again, VPN into TeamViewer. TeamViewer had access to an HMI and they just slid an act, you know, just slid a, a bar and suddenly I've poisoned the, the, the water supply. Right. Um, that's the setup because that's what those machines are there to do is make and it easier. That was the one where the operator monitor. actually was observing this as it was yes. happening and was able to watch sort of the, the, the mouse, you know, cursor go right. across the screen and slide right. it over. And he was kind of like, huh, <laughs> well, I didn't do that. Cause I'm right here. Right. And right. I wouldn't do that. Fortunately right? like, for so, everybody really. Well, yeah, but yeah. 
Oh no! So let's let's get out let's get out of the fear, uncertainty, and doubt part of this. Yeah. So all too often it's like, oh my gosh, someone's going to kill us, or in this case, somebody literally did change the water processing to a point that death would have resulted had that been um, introduced into the environment. But here's the thing: so we know for the last 12 years there are publicly documented. The government has released these uh, attacks. Uh, attack is strong because attack implies. Um, impacts of damage um, where there have been uh, campaigns against critical infrastructure by mm -hmm. the Chinese, by the Russians and by the Iranians. And here's the thing, not one of them has led to the most obvious result of any operational technology attack versus IT, which is the fact that in IT data gets stolen or corrupted in OT, somebody gets hurt or killed. Mm -hmm. And that has not happened once. Mm -hmm. The reason that I believe that has not happened is because that's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to learn and test, and in this case, measure the response. So when you look at mm -hmm. how a water processing plant works, yes, um, had that been allowed to happen, um, a amount of water would have been processed to a poisonous level, but anybody who knows how those work knows that there's a secondary physical backup where that goes into a storage for 24 to 72 hours, is mm -hmm. physically tested then before it's released into the water system. So I believe the attacker knew that and was measuring the response. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so, so I guess what is the, is one of the things that's a little, um, I guess not distressing, but I mean, it, it seems like when you read about these attacks, colonial or, or what have you, um, or when you read alerts like the one, um, CISA put out about the Chinese, um, you know, um, nation state groups and the work they're doing often, you know, the types of things they're, they're warning companies about and, and advising them to do really amount to sort of basic blocking and tackling, you know, make sure there are no, you know, remotely exploitable CVEs, you know, in your environment, you know, make sure you don't have exposed, you know, remote access, remote control, you know, uh, Citrix or, you know, some VPN, uh, that people can take advantage of, uh, you know, use strong authentication, that type of stuff. Um, is, is that really, um, is that it? I mean, is that, is that 90% of the problem is just, is just getting these critical infrastructure owner operators to just do the basic blocking and tackling and, and maybe tracking it and monitoring it? Or is there, is there heavier lifting to be done? So first difference between a traditional operational technology environment from a security perspective versus an IT is um, you mostly cannot patch. Whatever vulnerability is understood or found will live there. And industrial control systems, how do, how do I know something's an ICS? It's at least 20 years old, which means it has a long capital life cycle. It's yep. expected to be in the yep. environment for 20 to 30 years which yeah. means whatever that vulnerability is, is what you're going to have to work around. That is a substantial difference. You cannot just patch it. Um, there's a, what there's I would a dam argue, out in the West Coast running, uh, you know, Tesla equipment from the uh, late 19th century. So, And by the way, when we mean Tesla, we mean, you know, Nikolai yeah. Tesla. Nikolai not, Tesla, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Not Elon yeah. Musk Tesla. No, no. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no. So, and this is this actually ties to what I do full-time with Scythe is, my recommendation for everyone is you need to test whatever it is. It has to be tested. Um, you can't have things that you assume work a certain way, whether that is a configuration or whether that is the security control or whether that is some process or policy that may or may not 
actually be followed by personnel. Um, and that's that's part of the tension that we also see between IT and OT is that cultural bridge that's still there. Um, security and OT, I joke, is about 20 years behind where IT was. And hell, Paul, look where IT security is. So still a lot what to do. You expect? Still a lot to do. Um, okay, so uh, what's the so for folks who haven't seen who weren't at it or um, you know haven't haven't yet seen the conversation. What's the top level takeaway? Let's say you're a you're a large enterprise out there, or you're a um, critical infrastructure owner operator out there, maybe not in the pipeline space, but some other uh, space. Um, what uh, what is the takeaway for you uh, from this presentation? What should you be learning from Colonial? Just like Target was the canary in the coal mine for IT security. Yep, and Colonial third party risk. And third party risk. Um, and third-party risk in critical infrastructure is a huge problem. Um, Colonial is that same canary in the coal mine for OT. Mm -hmm. There will be more, and it is coming, right? We have, in fact, this is what's um, amusing to me, or I don't know, there's a there's a sense of, of something. And the last time I was at RSA was two and a half years ago, and Chris Krebs and I gave a talk on stage and predicted ransomware. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. sad part is we were right. Mm -hmm. I, I, I wish we weren't. And mm -hmm. what, make, what makes this work is the economic utility. Your organization, no matter how big or small you think it is, is worth something to somebody because that's how ransomware works. And we have not solved the fundamental operator and economic model of that. It's not a technical challenge in as much as that's why they are motivated to do what they do. The technical challenge is on your organization to treat this as a priority and make a difference. Preston, is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have? I don't know. If you, do you want a grab bag? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what, what's my prediction of what bad thing is going to happen? Uh, yeah, that's good. I, I'd, I'd love to hear your prediction about I mean, if you were accurate two years ago on the ransomware and critical infrastructure piece, um, look ahead another uh, year or two, let me know and, and let's hear it. So I'm going to do... Uh, a follow-on of the ransomware prediction, which is that tied to the pervasive nature of internet work computers in our lives and everything, right? I mean, even just the difference from three years, there's, there is more computer online in parts of ourselves. Yeah. That sometime in the next five years, somebody is going to clearly wake up, go downstairs, get their coffee, Head out the door, open the car door, get in, turn on the car to go to work. And that infotainment screen is going to pop up and say, you've been ransomware. Pay me this oh, yeah. much to get your car back. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So the B2B yeah. ransomware model will become a B2C ransomware model. Right. Right. Internet or your refrigerator, right? Or your or whatever, right? Absolutely. I, I like the car story because the car's I mean, great one. Yeah. What, I mean, ransomwareing the refrigerator, like what do you, I mean? Right. So it's just not going to be right. And, and one cool. of the right, and one of the really really interesting things about that too is that you know, um, for, first of all, the 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 implications of that for that particular car owner, you know, not being able to get drive to work or drive their kids to school are, are huge. The financial implications, and also my sense is that automotive uh, automakers are not 
um, prepared for this, right? That if if these systems needed to be um, these cars needed to be you know reimaged in the driveway, um, that Tesla or Ford couldn't support that at the scale they might need to, right? If this were a widespread attack, not just one owner, but tens of thousands, you know, in, in a geographic area. Um, um, I do want to give credit the the car manufacturers because um, this is one of the things we did at Graham was we were yeah. actually some of the first to to hack cars. Um, we just didn't go public about it. Yeah. Obviously, that is yeah. a Wired article in 2015 reference. Um, <laughs> and I remember at that time, <laughs> yes, I remember. And I appreciate that they, because they created a market. In fact, I was interviewed at DEF CON that year with um, one of our car hacking exhibits. I remember the press going, so like, where's this going to go? And I'm like, well, we're pretty much doing this for fun because when we go and talk to car manufacturers, uh, they tell us not $1 more for security, go pound sand. And mm -hmm. so after the Charlie and Chris article came out in 2016, we started getting large dollar contracts solving that problem. And so I have personally seen car manufacturers take this problem seriously. Um, mm -hmm. The reality, just like all of this, is that just becomes the test matrix for the attacker. So whatever mm -hmm. you have achieved, well, I'm not going to deploy something until I already know it's going to work. Mm -hmm. But right. I just wanted to give credit that I have personally seen the car manufacturing industry almost across the board take this seriously. So you think they'll be you think they'll be ready? Oh, I mean again, the attacker is going to find the hole that they yeah, are yeah, ready yeah. for. Yeah. But I, I just wanted to say that they have been investing in making it a harder problem. Yeah. Yeah. Preventing the attack is is hard, if not impossible, right? Uh, to to be perfect. Um, but being prepared for the eventuality of attack, that's that's something that's much more doable. Um, anyway, Bryson Bort, uh, uh, Scythe, thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us on Conversing Labs. I really appreciated it.